Good morning, everyone. Is everyone doing well? You still loving Jesus? Yes? Okay, I lost some of you. Are you still loving Jesus? Amen. Praise God. Uh, real quickly, I have one disclaimer. I was deceived this morning, married 27, going on 28 years. Nancy hardly ever interferes with my wardrobe. This morning, or even last night, she said, why don't you wear that green shirt tomorrow? And I thought, no problem. I mean, I was going to wear blue, but <laughs> uh, she said, wear that green shirt. I thought nothing of it until I come in here this morning. I got like dozens of compliments. Wow. Nice green shirt. So you do like the Eagles. <laughs> so I'm humbled that I fell for it, but thank you for loving the shirt. More so than I love the Eagles. <laughs> Praise God. Now they're playing well. They deserve to be where they are with how they're playing. Amen. Praise God. My team gets to rest up for next year. So. All right. Well, God's a good God. So we're going to continue on the series today entitled Supreme. We've been talking about the supremacy of Christ over all of creation, which we are enjoying uh, participating in that even in our worship music. Then also, not only is he supreme over all of creation, he's also supreme over our reconciliation uh, through the redemptive work of Calvary's cross, Christ is supreme over that. And as a result of that, he's also supreme over the church, which we touched on last week. We're going to talk about just a little bit more today. Then also talk about uh, today, we'll talk about how he is supreme over our daily lives. So follow along with me from uh, in the book of Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 24 through 28, the apostle Paul in writing this letter to the uh, church at Colossae. All his pastoral letters are, are really good, but uh, in, in Ephesians, he really, excuse me, in the book of Colossians here, he puts a strong emphasis on the supremacy of Christ over the church. And he has a real passion and a heart for the church. And you see that coming out in his writings throughout the Pauline epistles, but uh, predominantly here in Colossians. So I'm beginning at uh, chapter one, verse 24, the apostle Paul said, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. So notice he's willing to lay it down for the body of Christ. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming the entire message to you. Proclaiming the entire message to you. Then verse 26 says, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. And what he's referencing there is, the, is the, the gospel of the grace of God, the revelation of God's grace, how we are no longer under the requirements of the law, but we are now under the freedom of God's grace. That was not known throughout the Old Testament generations, and, and it was something they longed for. It was a, a mystery. They had an idea. The law was pointing them to Jesus, but they didn't quite, weren't quite able to wrap their minds around the fullness of that. The Apostle Paul received directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about this in the book of Galatians. How he received directly from the Lord Jesus Christ the revelation of God's grace. 
So he was the one that God chose for Jesus to meet with Paul, and Paul received the revelation of the grace of God. And this is his burden. This is his, uh, this is his calling in life. And he's talking about that's why he is glad, you know, the suffering that goes with that for the proclamation of the gospel, uh, a suffering according to the will of God. Of course, there's a lot of suffering that's not according to God's will, so we have to have wisdom and discernment there to understand which is which. But uh, so he's happy that he has this opportunity He's honored to have this privilege of serving the church by proclaiming his entire message to you. The message that was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles also. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The assurance of sharing his glory. Then in verse 28, so we tell others about Christ. We're warning everyone and we are teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. Notice the, 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 what the emphasis there. We're telling, we're warning or admonishing everyone. We are teaching everyone with all the wisdom. Uh, and, and the reason being is this, we want to present them to God Perfect. I'm going to say perfect. Some, some people might prefer the word mature, but you can just use either word. Present them perfect. To God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. That works in me. That's why he's doing what he's doing. And it's Paul sharing his heart with the Colossians. This is my heart. This is what I want you to know. I want you to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know the reality, the revelation and the reality of what occurred on your behalf when Jesus Christ took your sin on his body on the cross and he shed his blood to, to release you of all your sin, thereby you may being made perfect in the eyes of God, as we saw in previous weeks uh, from earlier in the chapter there, he talks about he's brought us into his own presence and, and that we are holy and that we are blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. Think of this imagery, imagery for a moment. Do you have any problem with uh, imagining Jesus Christ being supreme over the church? Anyone have a problem with that? Do you have any problem imagining in your, in your mind a picture of Christ being the head of the body? No? No problem with that. You agree with that. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the body. Who is the body of Christ? We are. Can you imagine Christ being the head of a body that's anything less than holy, blameless, and without a single fault? kind of a weird picture, isn't it? But yet many times we think of ourselves as not blameless, as holy, and without a single fault. We see ourselves as flawed. So basically what we're saying, when we see ourselves as flawed, we see a flawed body with Christ being the head of it. Doesn't, doesn't fit, does it? So stop thinking so much about the body and start thinking more about the head. Who's supreme over this? Who, who's, who's got it all together? Who created it and who holds it all together? Who's the alpha and the omega? 
It's Jesus. Amen? So Paul's uh, heart and passion and the reason he embraced the suffering that went along with his calling in proclaiming Jesus, the good news of God's grace, was to, was to for the revelation that he received from Jesus to be dispersed and dispensed to, throughout all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, not only the Jewish nation. Also, we have in the book of Ephesians another, just a supportive cast there as far as uh, Paul's gift to the church and the reason that he's in the church as an apostle. Ephesians 4.11 talks about that Jesus Christ having, has given gifts to the church. He's given the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher as gifts to the church for the equipping of the church, for the, bring the church into the fulfillment of its gifts and its callings. And so that's been my passion as well, not that I'm putting myself on equal standing with the Apostle Paul, but, you know, but I, I have been called to be a pastor and a teacher, and that's my gifting to the church, as my passion for the church has always been. It's been communicated in different ways, but the one that still comes forth when people say, what's your vision? Uh, you can change the verbiage on it. You can make it more modern. You can make it more old-fashioned if you want, but it's proclaiming Jesus, the good news of God's grace. Proclaiming Jesus, the good news, and we say good news of God's grace. That's always been my heart and my passion as, as Apostle Paul, his heart and his passion. And so I am uh, honored to be doing and have been doing what I am doing, but I also am uh, pleased to be able to announce for you today, with you today, that um, the successor, the new lead pastors of Grace Church have been... Uh, decided upon, and they will be coming on board uh, within the next couple months. I thinking most likely April, but it may be May. The details haven't been worked out on that yet. But it's, uh, he spoke here a few times last, over the last years, my nephew, Vernon Martin, and his wife, Alicia. And so for those of you that may not have been here when he spoke here, we have an introductory video. So let's go ahead and run the video so that I don't have to stand here and describe them to you. They want to greet you as well. Hi, Grace so welcome Church. Them. Hey, Alicia and I are super excited to transition into a lead pastor role and associate pastor role uh, there at Grace Church in the months ahead. And we believe God has called us to join that amazing family, this amazing family, to lead, to shepherd, and to help mobilize this local body of Jesus followers. So there's a rich heritage already there that we just want to recognize and that we know we're stepping into the many years of faithful, faithfully building the kingdom um, in that region by all of you under the wonderful leadership of Pastor Ray and his lovely wife, Nancy, and the team that you have there. But we feel then God has tapped us on the shoulder, so to speak, to come and partner with you for the future to, um, you know, to go after the Great Commission, right? To reach the lost, to equip the saints, to impact the region with a life-giving message of the gospel. We know that God has amazing plans for you and for your families and for that community going forward. Mm -hmm. And we're looking forward to getting to know all of you more personally as we connect at Grace Church. Yeah. You have a story that is worth sharing. You have gifts and talents that are valuable to others and to God. And you have an important place in God's heart. We're so thankful for the leadership of the Holy Spirit prompting us to expand our tent peg, so to speak, mm -hmm. and launch out in this direction. So we do plan to see you next Sunday, which we're really looking forward to this January 29th. I'll be sharing the message there again at Grace Church, and then we'll meet more of you then, of course. But until then, we bless you. We already love you. And God willing, we'll be there soon on a more continual basis. Until then, God bless. <laughs>
Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So they, like Vern just said, they, they will be here next Sunday morning. Vern will be ministering the Word of God. I have to discipline myself to say Vern. I always knew him as my nephew, Vernon. And uh, then we lost touch with one another over the years, and then I find out he doesn't go by Vernon. He goes by Vern. So if you see me hesitating when I go, Vern, it's... <laughs> It's a Vern or Vernon. So it's Vern Martin and his lovely wife, Alicia. And they will serve you well. They will love you and know that you will love them as uh, Nancy and I love you. And I know you've loved us. And we will, nothing will change from that perspective other than it's just from generation to generation. God will keep blessing and honoring and grace churches in good hands and will continue to prosper and accomplish the mission of proclaiming Jesus, the good news of God's grace. Maybe some different flavors, some different styles, but you can, I, I feel very comfortable knowing that Vernon and Alicia's heart and their heritage has been very word-centered, very Holy Spirit-centered, and they're gonna, they're, they're gonna serve us all very well. So praise God. So thank you for your prayers and just your continued prayers and uh, make, make sure you be uh, praying for Vern and Alicia. It's a big transition for them as well, leaving Lifeway Church in Lebanon and, and I'm on the pastoral team there and coming here and taking the reins here at Grace Church. So praise God. All right. Well, back to Colossians. Everyone ready to go back to Colossians? <laughs> or you need, some, you need another moment to digest all that. You can continue to digest it all as we continue on here. So Christ gave gifts to the church. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And uh, the primary responsibility of every gifting is to build up the body of Christ, to equip, to do the work of the ministry. And so we are going to continue to be doing that in Jesus' name. I want to wrap up here today by uh, talking about the supremacy of that Jesus Christ being supreme over our daily lives. It's, it's pretty easy to, to acknowledge and to nod our heads and say yes and amen to, uh, to uh, Jesus Christ being uh, supreme over creation and supreme over uh, reconciliation and being supreme over the church as being the head of the church. But he's even more than that. It's even more intimate than that. He is supreme over our daily lives. And I'm going to share with you this morning how I th something that I think will help you in keeping things in proper perspective and being able to experience his supremacy in our lives, discovering that it's no longer workspace, or no, no longer in subjection to the works of the law, but recognizing fully once and for all that, you know, I, I'm not under the requirement of the law. I am under the freedom of God's grace. And in that freedom of God's grace, Jesus is supreme over my daily lives, over my attitudes, over my thought processes, and over my, the actions in my life. And I think we'll see that as we uh, pick up in chapter, uh, chapter 3 of Colossians. Uh, beginning at verse 1, we're going to be backing, you know, go back and forth a little bit and probably into chapter 1 or picking out some verses again in chapter 2. But you're thinking about your position. I just want to remind you of, of, of your position in the body of Christ from God's perspective is that you are holy, blameless, and without a single fault. That you are in chapter in verse ten of chapter two it says you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. 
So you're complete. Nothing's broken, nothing's missing. There's no deficiency in you. You are complete. And so be remembering those, those promises from God's, word as, from God's word as we're thinking about the supremacy of Jesus in my daily life. How can I live the life that he lived? Because I'm surely I'm instructed in the word of God to be an imitator of Christ and to walk in love even as he loved. He is my example. And so how can that become a reality? Well, give you, let me give you a heads up. Number one, it's not, never going to become a reality by legalistic thinking, by requirements of the law, but it will become a reality when you discover the freedom of the grace of God. We are, by human nature, our fallen nature, prone to want to achieve a certain standing, status, position, or we, want, we are striving for it, we're working for it, we want to earn it. That way we say, I did this, I did this. I remember some years ago, it's probably, it, it may be 15 years ago, my uh, coach in pastoral leadership, uh, Dr. Keith Yoder, had uh, admonished me one time we were having conversation about the church and leading the church and growing the church and so forth and he said he said uh, with your tenure having been there like 25 years or something like that he said uh, it's important for you to remember now and going forward for as many years as you're at grace that you never ever adopt you owe me attitude and that's not just true with a pastor of a church. That's true with all of us. We, we think we've done our time. We've, we've, we've paid our dues. Now you owe me. And we must never allow that to take place because it's we, we owe it all to Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, I'm willing to lay it down. I'm willing to lay it down. The scripture that I shared with you back in January 5th of 2024, that Sunday morning when I shared Acts 20, 24 with you, about that the Apostle Paul said, I do not consider my life dear to myself that I might finish the race with joy, proclaiming Jesus. And so think about that, not considering our own life, but rather being willing to be conformed into the image and into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, living the new life, with Jesus being supreme of our daily lives. Verse 1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. How many here have been raised to new life with Christ? You've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Amen. So this is talking to us as born-again believers. Since we have been raised to Christ with uh, to new life with Christ, we're supposed to be responding in a certain way. Uh, and it, it, let me just continue to read through this and we'll back up. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed the whole world to the whole world, you will share in his glory. 
Our lives as born-again children of God are hidden in Christ, and being hidden in Christ, I am holy, I am blameless, and I'm, and I'm without a single fault. So when you're sitting there looking at me and hearing me saying what I'm saying, you may be thinking, but I don't see that. Have you ever seen a pregnant woman who, and, 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 and their husband, and they threw a reveal party, and the confetti was blue? What does everyone declare? It's a boy. You didn't see the baby. You just saw blue confetti. And that was enough for you to convince yourself to celebrate. It's a boy. It's a boy. Or pink smoke or confetti, whatever they're using. It's a girl. It's a boy. Well, thank God you're having reveal parties, and thank God you're willing to admit that it's a boy or a girl. In today's culture, that's great. I, I, I commend that. <laughs> But I'm also telling you that likewise, when God's word declares that I am holy, that I am blameless, that I am without reproach, don't you stare at me and say, I don't see that, or look at into the mirror and say, I don't see that in me. It's hidden. You can't see it all the time. But my goal is, is that you can, you, can, you can get glimpses of it. But guess what? Your life that is hidden in Christ is not always going to remain hidden in Christ. It will be revealed when Jesus comes in his big reveal to rule and to reign for a thousand years. You're going to come with him. You're going to share in his glory. And all of a sudden, everyone's going to say, ah, whoa, it's true. What Pastor Ray has been saying, it's true. I'm holy. I am blameless. I don't have a single fault. Wow. I am a Christian. I am born again. It's in you. It's hidden. You're hidden in Christ. So how do I begin to tap into that in my daily life while I'm here on the earth before Jesus returns, while I'm here under the, in, 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 among all the forces of darkness and just all the, the worldly systems and governments and, and, and worldly thought processes? How do I live that out? How can I express that to the best of my ability today? Here's just a couple keys I want to, or steps, whatever you want to call them, processes, let's call them steps, that, that I think are helpful, beneficial. I try, to, I, I try to acknowledge these and work on these. But number one thing that I think we can do, the first step we can take to help us is recognize truth of identity in Christ. Recognize it and acknowledge it. Recognize and acknowledge your identity in Christ. Don't constantly be looking into a natural mirror and, and, and identifying who you are or don't identify yourself by what people say about you or, about, or what you say about yourself, but begin to identify yourself according to the mirror of God's word. James, the letter James, he talks about God's word being a mirror. Just like a natural mirror, we look at it, it reflects ourselves. You look into the mirror of God's word, it reflects the true you. When I look into the mirror of God's word, of his word, I am holy, I am blameless, and I stand before him without a single fault. And then it goes on and says, now you must continue to believe this. Don't walk away from the mirror and then forget about it. Now what am I? Oh, I am holy, blameless, and I stand before him without a single fault. 
look into the mirror and remember it. Set, uh, recognize the truth of your identity in Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, so you are complete in him. If something is complete, does anything else need to be added to it? No. No. Nothing else needs to be added to it. So recognize the truth. Acknowledge it of your identity in Christ. You're complete in him. Then the second step you, you, you can be working, exercising, is set your sights on the realities of heaven. Verse 2 and 4 of chapter 3. Think about the things of heaven, not about the things of the earth. Reason being, verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life. In your real life, you are holy, you are blameless, and you're without a single fault, and it's hidden in Christ. But it's aching, it's, it's, it's longing to be revealed. And in that longing to be revealed as holy and blameless and without a single fault, if we're not careful, we so, we so want that to be a reality. We want other people to see that. We want to feel that. We want other people to acknowledge it. We so want it that we get so caught up and then we start working it in the flesh. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing here when he's writing to the church here and, and throughout the rest of the chapter there in verse 2. Uh, in, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness. In Christ lives all the fullness of God. The fullness of God is embodied in Jesus Christ, and, in, and your life is hidden in Christ are you getting this, understanding how rich this is? The fullness of God is in Christ, and you are hidden in Christ. You're complete through your union with him. Then he goes on. If you, we're skipping across this quickly, but I encourage you to just read this over and over again and let it really just minister to your, to your heart. Verse 16, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat, drink, or for celebrating certain holy, uh, holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules only have a shadow of the reality yet to come. Yet to come. So it goes on and lists some more things that you, you, you need to uh, want to be dealing with and that you're going to be tempted to be dealing with. But I love the way it ends in verse uh, 23 of chapter 2. Verse 23 of chapter 2. These rules may seem wise. Because they require strong devotion. Oh, I'm committed. I am a committed Christian. I'm telling you, I'm going to get up at 3 o'clock every morning. I made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to get up at 3, and I'm going to pray for three hours before I even have breakfast. I'm committed. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing that if you feel that's something the Holy Spirit told you to do. But if you're going to, get to, make, if you're going to do that to make you holy and blameless and without a single fault, you're going to feel really guilty because day number two, you're not going to get up at three. You're going to get up at 3.15. Now, all of a sudden, you're no longer blameless. Now, you're guilty. You see the pattern? And that's with prayer. It can happen with fasting. If God tells you to fast, go ahead and fast. Enjoy it. But only do it if God tells you to do it. If you are fasting for the sake of becoming more holy, more blameless, 
more blameless, less blameless. <laughs> Can you become more blameless? <laughs> if you fast for the wrong reason, you're going to be more blameless. <laughs> less blameless or trying to be acknowledged without, man, that person's really got it together. Not a, can't think of a single fault about that person. That's why I'm fasting. I want people to really admire my devotion to God. If that's why you're doing it, it's, it's the wrong reason. It may appear wise or any other absent legal abstinence commitments that you make, any other commitments you make to God, any deal that you make with him, any fleeces you want to put out there for him, which I don't think you need to do because you have the Holy Spirit leading you. But uh, anything that you are doing, they, they, these, these rules, they, they seem wise because they require strong devotion. Anything that's requiring a strong self, uh, human devotion. Pious self-denial. Notice it doesn't say self-denial, it says pious self-denial. Self-denial may be fasting. Pious self-denial may be letting everyone know that your stomach's growling and your, your countenance is withdrawn because this is day 47 of my fast. That's pious fasting. That's letting everyone know how you're suffering for Jesus. No, you're just really drawing attention to yourself. Anyway, let me not start preaching here, but... <laughs> Pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline. Can you see all of these as being religious exercises? You see it in religion all throughout our culture. Severe bodily discipline, self, pious self-denial, strong devotion. It creeps in. And sometimes it's not even creeping in. I mean, it just comes storming in. We can get caught up. And really, I am a self-disciplined person. I, you know, I this and I that and pious self-denial and just whatever it may be. And I remember, you know, with uh, being pastor, founding pastor of Grace Church, you know, I had a... I, Praise God, this is Grace Church. We're free from legalism. I grew up with all kinds of rules and regulations that I shall not, that I shall not touch, that I shall not do this, that I shall abstain from that and, and not participate with this. And, you know, I thought, okay, praise God. I'm born again now. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I am free. I am free. I am free. Then I remember when we, uh, Grace Church built this facility here and we're cleaning out the old facility, the former Shillington Theater. We had been in there for a number of years and we were um, moving, getting ready to move things over here. And so normally as we do when we move, you know, you kind of, does this need to be moved or should this just be thrown out? And so anyway, I just remember going through some different folders and so forth. I remember coming through across a folder for uh, if, uh, if you're involved in the helps ministry of Grace Church, and we had some really, really <laughs> legalistic, pious, severe bodily discipline rules and regulations for you to be involved in children's church, for you to be involved in the worship ministry team. If you were on the ministry team on a Wednesday night, you were expected to wear a shirt and a sports jacket. The grace was you didn't have to wear a tie on a Wednesday night. If you were on on a Sunday morning, and then you wore a tie shirt, tie, and sport jacket. And if you didn't, you weren't on the worship team. 
And we had, you know, those are just examples, just some minor examples of some of the rules and regulations I began looking at. I thought, oh my gosh, how did this creep in? How did this creep in? And recognizing and realizing that, you know, sometimes we think we're free, but we're not free. So we have to keep going back to God and keep just really recognizing, being honest and evaluating where am I really at with, in my walk with God? And so uh, and then when Drew Thomas was working here, uh, here at the church, I remember he would be petitioning me to lighten up on the dress code. And he's coming in with uh, Drew likes to, do you know there's a clothing line called Supreme? Justin Bieber and people like that, you know, the clothing, the, the fashion, skateboarders. Anybody know their Supreme line of clothing? Yeah. That's what Drew was going for. <laughs> Baseball cap backwards, shorts, flip-flops, and shirt. I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> How can God be in that? And Pastor Ray, why can't we wear jeans and be on the worship team? I said, well, if you wear nice jeans, okay. Then all of a sudden you have nice jeans, and the next thing you know, they're petitioning for ripped jeans, holy jeans. It's like, <laughs> I mean, these kinds of things will stretch you. Growing up, men and I, you always wore black pants and a white shirt to church on Sunday. One of the first times my dad finally was persuaded to take a weekend off from church and go to the family. My, br my brother had a cabin upstate, and I wasn't along that weekend. I was here working, pious. <laughs> but uh, it was, and so they were at the cabin for the weekend, and my brother was up early fixing breakfast for everyone. My dad's the next one up, and my dad comes out of his uh, bunk that he was in, and he has his Sunday black pants and his Sunday white shirt on because it's Sunday morning. Again, I mean, they're at the cabin. They're not going to church, but it's Sunday morning, so you wear it. And then uh, the rest of the family started getting up and gathering around for breakfast, and my dad, my brother, was telling me this story because he thought it was so humorous. My dad looked around, and he said, doesn't anyone realize that it's Sunday? <laughs> So things can get ingrained. I mean, I can laugh at that about my dad, but I had the same thing going on with, don't you realize it's Sunday morning? It's not Wednesday night. It's Sunday morning, so you should have a tie and a jacket on. <laughs> and so those are just comical, minor things. They can get far more serious than that, and I think you can probably identify how they can be much more serious than that in your life. So just uh, offering that to you. To, uh, something to be aware of and not to get caught up in a uh, pious self-denial or severe bodily dis discipline or uh, don't get me wrong I think we should dress appropriately we should not be you know anyway you know what I mean so but the Apostle Paul is saying that these rules he said they may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering. They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Now, what did Grace Fellowship's church at that time is called Grace Fellowship? What did Grace's church rules have to do with anything with anybody on the worship team? Had anything to do with their heart? What transformative power was in that rule of thy shall and thy shall not? Zero, nada, absolutely nothing. 
So we get our focus off of what Christ has done, that we are complete in him, and what I do, uh, what I'm wearing or not wearing, within modesty, of course the Bible does call for us to be modest in our dress, but within those guidelines has absolutely nothing to do with it, but if we're not careful, we will fall to these man-made traditions and rules to try to be made more holy, more complete, and more blame, uh, less blameless, and to be without a single fault. We, we try to work for it, and it, they, they seem wise. They seem like reasonable guardrails. Now, there's some roads where you need guardrails, but there's some other highways you don't need a guardrail. And so we're on a highway here. It's called we are, we are no longer under the requirements of the law, but we are under the freedom of God's grace. So recognize the truth of your identity in Christ, that you're complete in him. Number two, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the reality of heaven and the finished work of reconciliation. Think about that and then lift up your eyes and look, look to it. I, I, I never th- made that statement. I think of God speaking to Abram in Genesis chapter 13 when he and Lot separated and Lot took the good land and God appeared to Abram. Abram, he said, Abram, lift up your eyes from where you now are and look to the north, look to the south, look east and look west. Everything that you can see I have given it to you. And so it's important that we learn to lift up our eyes and to see all that God has provided for us, to see things from heaven's perspective, because when you see it from heaven's perspective, it becomes a reality in the now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's kingdom reigning here on the earth through me, through your life, through your life, through the entire church's life. That's what we're talking about, with God being supreme in our daily living because we are recognizing, acknowledging my identities. My life is hidden in Christ. I'm going to continue to lift up my eyes and remind myself and to see what Jesus Christ has done for me. And then thirdly, it's in verse 5, it's a... A hard turn here, but he says, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Or you could say it like this, bring to an end you. Or you could say it like the actions that deny the reality of your reconciliation. Everything that denies the reality of you being holy, blameless, and without a single fault, everything that denies that, every thought pattern, every attitude, every action in my life that denies the reality of me being a holy child of God, being blameless and without a single fault, that is my, that is my commission, that is my Response to all that Jesus Christ has done for me. So I bring an end to the actions that deny the realities of my reconciliation. Don't let anyone cheat you. Don't let anyone condemn you. These rules, they seem wise. They religious rules. It's exactly what they are. Religion. Religion. It's no different than living under the law. If you want to read additional information that ties right in with this, it's in the letter to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11 through 14, talks about we should take into consider. Consider. To, to consider is an, is an action of your mind. 
that your old life has died and that you were raised to new life with Jesus Christ. And then that gives you some action steps to take there. But in verse 14 of Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, most people recognize it as we're not under law, but we're under grace. And it's exactly what it is. But uh, in the New Living Translation, it says we are no longer under the requirement. Everyone say requirement. No longer under the requirement of the law, but we're under the freedom, say freedom, freedom. of grace. Which one sounds better, requirement or freedom? freedom? Freedom. Let freedom ring. Amen. Let freedom ring. And so as much as rules and regulations, thou shalt not, don't touch, don't taste, don't, or, or do observe this and do pay attention to this, as much as we think, well, they're just good guidelines, they're just good things to do for us, you know, be careful. Be careful. God has made you complete in Jesus Christ. Your life is hidden in him, but it's not forever going to be hidden. This reality is going to be exposed when Jesus comes back. We're going to come back to rule and to reign with him. And the reality of being holy, blameless, without a single fault is going to be 100%. Right now, we have a deposit on it, but we are to live it out. We're to keep fleshing it out, keep fleshing it out by lifting our eyes up, reminding ourselves who I am, that I'm not under the requirement of the law. I'm not going to abide by don't do this or you must do this or don't do this or do this. I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm going to get caught up in what does the Lord say? What does God say? God said, he so loved me. He so loved me. He so loved the whole world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the truth of God's word. That's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm talking about. Amen? Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. I just want to give you an opportunity before we leave here today that you were saying, Pastor, I've never, ever heard anything like that in my life. I've never realized that God loved me and that through the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross that I had been forgiven, that... Uh, the idea of being blameless without a single fault, let alone being called holy, is just completely foreign to me. Well, it doesn't have to remain foreign to you. You can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior in a nanosecond. It's simply acknowledging and saying yes to everything that you just heard here today, that God loves you, that Jesus is for you, and that he has forgiven you at Calvary's cross. So if you're with us here today, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you say, Pastor, I, I would love to be included in a prayer. I want to make that commitment to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or perhaps you're watching uh, with us online and this is speaking to your heart as well. You can get in on this as well by receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Is there someone in the auditorium here this morning? You say, Pastor Ray, I want to, I want to receive Jesus. Anyone at all? Just slip up your hand briefly. You don't need to keep it up. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Is there someone else? You want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Don't be embarrassed. No one's looking around. This is between you and God. Between you and God. All right. Those of you that are watching us, participating with us online and here in the auditorium, let's all pray this prayer together. And as we pray this together, know that Jesus Christ, if he has not come into your heart, you pray this. Your meaning is from your heart. He's becoming Lord of your life, and you're coming into what I just said, that your life is hidden in Christ, and you're good to go. You have the gift of eternity. Let's pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much 
that you sent Jesus, your only son, to shed his blood at Calvary's cross. I believe with all my heart that this was done for me, and I receive that today. I receive forgiveness, and I receive the life of Jesus into my heart today. Thank you, Father, for accepting me, making me clean. I am now blameless in your eyes. I'm complete in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.